Welcome to Women in the Arena podcast, the podcast celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and our mission is to elevate the value, strength, and resilience each woman brings to the world. Without further delay, let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for joining me this week. Oh, I have got a treat for you. My guest this week is Kimberly Spencer, and you guys are going to need to sit down for this because her list of accolades is pretty remarkable. First of all, she is a high-performance, high-achieving coach and trainer, and we're going to get into what that means. She is a best-selling author. She is a TEDx speaker. She's the founder of crownyourself.com. She has been featured on Netflix, The CW, ESPN, Chicken Soup for the Soul, NPR, Thrive Global, CNBC, and Forbes. I told you, the list is amazing. And she's here with us today to talk about how to change your life. It is both my pleasure and my honor to introduce to you Kimberly Spencer. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. I am I'm so honored to be here with you, Audra. And my goodness, like sometimes when you hear your bio back and you're like, damn, I re- like I always I work with my clients on training their reticular activating system to celebrate themselves. And I also work with them on like getting more visible, like getting booked on podcasts and whatnot. But I think one of the best ways is when you go on podcasts and you hear that list, it's like reminding you of like, oh, yeah, like I did do some pretty amazing things. And I'm really proud of that. Not in like a boastful or prideful way, but more in like so often we as women especially can put our accolades down because we've been told to like be humble and like let's put ourselves into this nice little box and not brag about ourselves because we don't want to be braggadocious versus what I tell my clients is I'm like, it ain't bragging if it's true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, like you need to be sweet and, you know, you you know, don't make anybody else uncomfortable in the room or, or whatever, all that stuff, which we actually are going to talk about today. Uh, but I am so excited for you to be here. You and I have had such a, a a great and energetic rapport. So I think that today's conversation is going to be just as magnificent as our previous conversations. Uh, And I want to talk about first of how you got into the business of game changers and life changers and and becoming what you were born to be. How do you decide, you know what, this is the business that I want to be in. So I think that that really came from following my curiosity because I had several loops and twists and turns along my journey because initially the business that I thought I wanted to be in was entertainment. And so I chased that business from the age of 17. And when I was uh, 19 or 20, I had there I had the opportunity to write a feature film. And I thought, this is my dream. This is like going to happen. Well, it takes a while for it to come out. And so three years later, um, it came out and I was realized at the premiere, because meanwhile, I had uh, started teaching Pilates and I'd started my own private Pilates studio because I needed a bridge job. 
and because I found something, I wanted something that had a, a schedule that I could that could be adaptable around meetings and uh, and whatnot in Hollywood. And I love teaching and I love leadership and I love the physical fitness aspect. And so I was always this multi-passionate entrepreneur. I could never put my finger on just one thing that I wanted to specifically do. Like even when I it was in entertainment, I wanted to be like the female Clint Eastwood doing the writing, the directing, the producing, the the you know, mute the scoring. Like I wanted to do that. And when my feature film got produced and distributed, I was at the premiere. And I was only about 90% fulfilled because I'd written the film, um, co-written it with the the director. And I was like, you know, something felt off. And I thought it was like possibly a bit of the control piece because I didn't have control over the final production of the feature. I didn't, while in shooting the film, I didn't have the... um, like it wasn't my place really as a scriptwriter to like shift and jump in with some directing things that I probably would have shifted, but that was his choice and that was his ship that he was leading. And so it was, it was a very interesting experience. And it wasn't until two weeks later that I got a text from a friend of a, uh, from a friend who'd brought her friend and her, her, uh, her friend's son to the film. Cause when you, when you write a movie, you get extra tickets and you pass them out like candy. That's what I, at least what I did. And <laughs> And I found out that this kid changed his life because of the film. And I was like, really? That film? Because it's a film about, which you would never expect that I wrote because with a company called Crown Yourself and I'm all about like femininity and uh, sparkles and claiming your power. It's about like uh, the hard partying, high flying world of freestyle motocross. And yeah. And, but you know, I, it's called research and I still have yet to be on the back of a a motocross bike, but the, um, But the story is about a young kid who's trying to fit in with the cool crowd. And we've all had that experience. And, you know, in screenwriting, there are only about seven stories ever in the history of all filmmaking and all storytelling. Like if you break down every story, it basically boils down to the hero's journey. And there's seven different forms of the hero's journey and how it ends and how the journey goes. So human humanity and our storytelling and the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that we see have a powerful impact upon us. And I knew this because I was to, had been telling myself a story of being broken, being a victim, being damaged, being abused. Um, and I was doing that to myself through a 10-year battle with bulimia, which was what led me into finding Pilates to supplement my career because I finally found something that was that felt so good in my body. I was like, I have to teach this. I want other women to feel this. So I'd always had these multiple passions. Um, I got out of screenwriting and I just, I had the opportunity to join an e-commerce company. So I followed my curiosity again on that. And for two years, I worked with the startup as, as the president of the company and learned a heaps and heaps of lessons um, in the fray. And then three months before I was um, going to get married to my husband, I had a slam dunk of a gut punch that I found out my business partner wanted to buy me out, and I was crushed. And I spent the next three months, like right as you're you know, supposed to be planning for a wedding, I found it um, – I was dealing with lawyers and they don't always send you the nicest emails when they're not, when you're not the one paying them. Um, and suddenly every belief that I'd had, cause I'd always been very audacious in my career. I'd always like gone for what I wanted. If I wanted something like I was a freight train. And this was the first time that every belief and fear that I'd had in past 
uh, relate romantic relationships and in in my own body where I the enoughness the not deserving the um, too muchness the all these egoic beliefs that were that were fears of mine suddenly were co- brought to light by old white men and <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that how that always goes though is that you know you have these I mean we all have those crazy thoughts in the back of our yeah. head. Um, and we didn't put them there ourselves. We had help. Yeah, it's what I we call plagiarized programming. Help. I'm like, that. That's it's all plagiarized. We yeah. all borrowed and, that belief from somebody else, including the ones who are distributing that belief, like, oh, you're probably too much, or oh, you're not educated enough, or oh, you, you know, all of those beliefs. We've all had them. Yeah. It's, and my favorite is you're either too much or not enough, and it's basically in the same conversation. You're like, what is it? What? I'm too much or I'm not enough? Wait, which what one? What is it? Which one? Yeah, like, pick one. Pick one. Swing <laughs> that pendulum is swinging wide on either side, mm-hmm. and so I signed the buyout agreement three weeks before I got married. Jetted off to my honeymoon, and was on my honeymoon in Italy, wondering like, what am I going to do when I get back? And I realized, I said, I love storytelling, I love the movie industry, but I didn't love the industry of entertainment in Hollywood. I loved like storytelling. I loved, um, and that was like right around. 2014. So I had started to see this trend in influencer marketing and this trend with like coaching. And I was like, maybe it's like a coach or like a author, like in like, I wasn't quite sure how to define it. I didn't have a coach to guide me um, at that time. And I just was like, I like all these, you know, varied things. And I'd been a pageant girl and I loved health and fitness and um, business and relationships. And I, I, was just brainstorming and after way too many espressos with my husband one morning, <laughs> I said I leaped off the couch and I said, Crown yourself. And he's like, What's that? I said, I don't know, but it's the name of my company. <laughs> <laughs> and so I immediately went to work at what I call productive procrastination, which I was doing all the safe things in building a business, designing a logo, buying filming equipment. <clears throat> um doing um all the the website building hiring a graphic designer all these like nice fun things except making sales and so for a year and a half i da- i realized i doubted myself so much that i went back i didn't even trust the fact that i'd owned a pilates studio for the past like 5 years and i thought well i'm not even making enough money there and so maybe i'll just get a side job at you know working for someone else as a pilates instructor and do that because i had that was where my doubt was uh, my like my bank account clearly reflected where my self worth was, and so for a year and a half in my business, I made no money. But meanwhile, I was working all the time. My husband had a joke that we couldn't get fifteen minutes into a Netflix show without me whipping out my computer. I have no idea what the hell I was doing, to be honest, <laughs> because I look back, I'm like, what did I get done? Um, but because now I'm so efficient with my time, especially with two babies, but the um, but then I found out I was pregnant. And in 2016, I realized that the person of who I had become in that year and a half of productive procrastination, I'd become blaming my former business partner, complaining about life, money, business, all the things, and feeling really ashamed of where I was, feeling like an imposter for trying to put myself out there. And I did would do like f- branding photo shoots that I would be like all in sparkles and like crown yourself and wear your crowns. And, and meanwhile, I was suffering in shame. And 
that was when I immediately said, I was like, when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, this woman who I am today is not the one who I want to raise my children. And so uh, I want to stop you for a minute and tell me, what do you mean that you were, you were suffering in shame? What, what shame was that? Because I think that that's significant because I, I'm hoping that this is resonating with somebody out there. Yeah. So shame, the shame was, I felt like a failure. I felt like I'd lost something that I'd spent two years growing. I felt like I had so much possibility. Like when, when the bomb was dropped of that, I was, that my business partner wanted to buy me out. I had just pitched it to the first round of Shark Tank. We'd gotten it up on, you know, gotten our product featured in New York Times Square on the like giant billboards. We were speaking to angel investors and venture capital funds. Like we were right on the cusp and we were launching a crowdfunding campaign. And so there, I was like, okay, the tide is turning for this business. And I was so excited. And then suddenly it was like that, that tide turned into a freaking tsunami and I, it, it crushed me. Like I was devastated. And the problem is, is that in the past, I'd attached so much of my identity to my businesses, especially something that I was putting my heart and soul into. Never really with Pilates because that was always something that was supposed to be a side hustle. It was never supposed to be the main thing. So I just naturally like, because I didn't care, I was very good at it. (laughs) Like I cared about my clients. I cared about delivering them results, but I didn't really care about growing it as a business. It was like, yay, I'm making money and yay, I get clients out of the blue all the time, always referrals. But like it was never, my soul was never fully into it. And what I've seen so often is having coached high achievers for the past five years is when they shift into having that soul-based business, that business that personally deeply means something, that is when the deepest parts of themselves get reflected into what their business is. And my reflection of from where my business was back in 2016 was a reflection completely of my own self-worth of that it looked nice on the outside. It looked like a lot of achievements, but on the inside, an actual reality it wasn't like, it was a really sparkly turd. <laughs> and, and that it was, was a hobby at that point. Yeah. It was a sparkly hobby. Yeah. And it was lovely had I consider, had I actually allowed the clarity to claim it as a hobby. But when we, when we're like, oh, this is a business that I'm building versus this is a hobby that I have. This is a fun idea. Like I remember them. Oh my gosh. I remember the moment I had business cards made up and one of my private uh, Pilates clients was a very big director of photography in Hollywood. And I was like, oh, these are my new business cards. And I was so proud. And they said CEO on them. And he looks at it, he goes, CEO of what? And I was like, I felt so exposed. And I was like, it hit. And that truth hurt because I was like, you're absolutely right. And because I have seen so many solopreneurs say that they are like the CEO. And I'm like, there is a big difference because I have coached them, work with them, masterminded with them between the CEO of a company with 500 employees and the CEO of one, <laughs> meaning you. Yes, Like there's yes. a very big difference in how the thinking is and how the tactics are and how the strategies are and how you operate on a day-to-day basis. And so when I, I I had that reflection back to me and I was like, oh, you're right. I'm really not living into this truth of claiming my own power. And when I found out I was pregnant, I said, that's enough. I said, that's it. Like I need to, I knew it was a mindset piece. I knew it was very similar to the recovery that I had with bulimia. Um, but I also knew that I had a nine month deadline. <laughs> and so I immediately, I got, 
I signed, enrolled in a program to get certified in NLP timeline therapy and hypnosis to work deeply on the subconscious mind. I knew it was a subconscious mindset problem. I just didn't know or feel like I had the time to figure it out on my own. And I hired a coach and that coach was a game changer for me. And she helped me really see where these past traumas and past decision-making strategies that I'd had were really playing into the business. And like like I tell my clients, it's not new level, new devil. It's like new level, same devil, just in a different form. So the same devil were those devils of not enoughness, of those devils of not believing I deserve to be successful. Those devils of just like, just like, um, when you go on a diet and you want to lose weight and then you do and you have that success and then you gain it back like that was what my relationship was what with uh with what felt like with success where i'd ha- re- get the awards get the accolades get the you know get the promotion get the thing like have the big tada and then back to square one and it felt like this constant fluctuating and i hated it And what I realized is I said, I really want to support transformation because I'm not about like, let's just, you know, change your habits and you got to be more accountable because ultimately, especially working with high achievers, accountability is not their problem. Like it's an identity thing that's a problem. It's it's a deep seated belief of oh this is what I should be doing this is what I've I've been told I supposed to be, I'm supposed to be doing this is what I got an education to be doing and yet it's not filling your soul. So let's let's stop there and and let's pull, peel back some layers because yeah. you just said some pretty heavy stuff. I don't know if anybody picked that up, but let me tell you what I picked up. Um, and just in case anybody was wondering, I am. A type A personality. I think I've said that more than once. I'm admitting that I'm a type A personality. Right there. Always, <laughs> always been a high achiever. I, and I'm always my own worst critic. Always. I always have that tape in the back of my head going, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not good enough, which is why I am a high performing individual because it is that force that forces me to continue to push because I have that tape in the back of my head going, it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. Everybody thinks that that type A personality, high-performing individuals perform at that level because all they want to do is win. That's a little bit true. It's mostly because there's a tape in the back of their head that's saying, whatever you're doing is never enough. It's not good enough. And it sits deep in your soul. And that's what pushes the, these high-performing individuals, myself included, And what I think is amazing is that you recognize that within yourself. So you became your first client. I did. I became my first case study. That's for sure. And that, but that's how I also did Pilates as well, is I was the first case study for the process that I put my clients through. And once I realized that, oh, this process works, like it really works, then I can lead from a place of authenticity and truth because. I'm not coming at it from like, I know it all. I'm coming at it from like, I've been where you are and I know that where you are are sucks and it feels so sucky to constantly feel like you're not good enough, not deserving of your accolades, not worthy. It sucks. 
versus being able to say, like, let me show you some tools, strategies, resources, and a process that can help guide you through so that we can stop looking at the not enoughness and start challenging what systems do we need to actually disrupt to remove us from being in that sort of drama cycle of the villain of being the villain of our own life. Well, let's, let's start with the systems Mm -hmm. that are put in place right now that we all live in that are designed to keep us there. So what systems that are there that we live with every single day that we don't even pay attention to that are perpetuating this, this tape inside your head. So it really comes down to looking at what you're exposed to. So for example, you look at someone like Sarah Blakely, and it's very well known that her father trained her from a very, very early age to look at failure as a key to success. Every day when she got home, her father would ask, what did you fail at today? That is a system where our educational system has trained us to see that failure means you get an F. Failure, so it's outcome-based, not process-based. So our, our system has trained us to basically exploit outcomes and be outcome-oriented rather than innovation-oriented. So we're not able to think of new ways to do things because that is frowned upon. If you think of, oh, I want to, you know, maybe approach it this way. Nope, that's wrong. That's an F. That's a D. That's a C. And especially for the high achievers, straight A's, type A's of like, I'm going to get all the A's. Buying into that educate that traditional educational program is challenging, and it's it's a, it's it's a system that I do believe is ripe for disruption. I believe the past two years definitely disrupted it a bit with parents, you know, seeing the growth of their children and, and some, some seeing the progress and some seeing the lack of progress. Um, but looking at like, how is this training, this, our education system as it is, has trained us to think how, uh, of what to think, not how to think. And so that's one system. Then we also have the fact that we do live in a patriarchal society. So that, that is shifting. Women have had a voice and what I have heard and what I have seen with many of my clients of who are high achievers is that as they have grown, especially those who have been in the corporate world or for uh, lawyers, as they have grown up the corporate ladder or into higher and higher ranks of their um, into partnerships at their law firm, consistently I have heard that it is the women that hold them back, not necessarily just the men. And why is that? Well, my hypothesis is that we as women had to fight to get the vote only recently. Like it's only, it's been less, like just over a hundred years. So yeah, we have kind of, kind of remarkable that it's only been a hundred years yeah. that we've had the right to vote and not considered property. Yeah. Yeah. And the right to be able to make income. So looking at that system of being able to, to see, okay, we had to fight to get to that space. So that fighting, that warrior spirit is a very masculine energy spirit. So that masculine energy is still a part of that uh, that traditional corporate system where the women have fought to get to a certain level and then there's that competitive masculine energy versus the feminine, which is far more collaborative. It's more rising tide lifts all boats. Masculine and feminine energy, it's not one's good and one's bad. They both are great when you know how to work them together. But when 
if we as women swing the pendulum, it, it, we're not helping the system if we're not helping each other rise. And that's why I love podcasts like yours, Audra, where you are focused on helping women rise together. Because one of my favorite quotes is that a rising tide lifts all boats. Didn't even mean for that yes. to rhyme. Um, yes. And and so that that's a system that looking at, okay, we played into the system to get the vote, to get pay. We're still working on the equal pay, um, but to get to get the quote and get get up there with our um, with being able to be CEOs, being able to run you know multi billion dollar companies and whatnot. But there's still the fact that only two percent of female owned businesses ever make it to a million dollars, and that's a problem. I see that, that as a, and that's. Pathetic. That That's is, pathetic. That is, and I awful. think that also is a, that it, that 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 plays a huge piece into women's belief systems, into what we've been taught to tone it down. You know, we deserve. You know, and also the parenting belief systems that we grew up with. Like it, it really look looking at what were the things that you learned? Did you learn that children are better seen and not heard? That could be for boys and girls. Um, but do you, did you know to like? you know, just sh- shut your mouth and just listen and be like, did your, no offense to your parents, but did they train you like a dog that like you had no voice and that, you know, just shut up and do what they said? Like that is programming. And that's something that we need to explore within ourselves because you, like I tell all my clients and I've worked with many clients who have had all different forms of childhood trauma. I personally experience every form of abuse because I had an addict for a father and he was amazing when he was sober and he was awful when he was on alcohol. Um, and that experience trained me to do the work that I do with my clients. But you, I'm not, you, you are not responsible for the trauma. You are responsible for your healing. That is, wow, that is, that is significant that I'm, I'm going to write down and probably make a slide out of it if you want to know the truth. But what you just said about all of those subliminal messages, um, about the education system, about your parenting style, about corporate America, it it reminded me of an experience that my daughter had in third grade. You know, we have taught both of our children, we have one of each, we've taught both of our children to be strong and to speak up and and to help people that that are, may not be as strong as you and reach back and help them. I, it was back, and, and my daughter is very vocal. I mean, we've taught her all of these skills, and sometimes she uses her good, you know, her good skills for evil against her mom. So <laughs> you take the good <laughs> with the bad. Um, I remember she was in the third grade, and her teacher told her to tone down her personality. She came home and told me this. I was livid, livid. I went to school the next day, walked into her classroom and said, don't you ever tell my daughter to turn down her personality. That is her greatest asset. It is not her fault if her personality makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. I said, you have to live with your discomfort, but she does not have to be responsible for it. So it, it's... It's a constant thing. It's a constant retelling of the same story, and it's a story that I I personally hate, and I'm I'm trying to change it. But as you're speaking, there are so many things that have been resonating with me as you're speaking about. Oh my gosh, all this work that I have been doing on myself, there's still so much more work to be done because of these systems 
that are still there in place and they are making, they're still delivering subliminal messages to me and I don't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it also comes into like looking at what is the environment of the voices that you're paying attention to. So you know when the the work is complete in a way, when it doesn't trigger you. Like when you feel that emotional trigger, um, I just actually did a TikTok video on like, how do you respond to haters? And like, I have had many comments of many styles that people have said to me. Um, Some, when they resonate though, that means that there's something inside of me that I get to work on. Like haters, this feedback can be your constant greatest gift to that, um, to your growth. I remember my, my dad grew up in the, it was a baby boomer and thus grew up very military, very like macho man style. And he had, he was a super sensitive man when he allowed himself to be. Um, but sometimes he would put on this like macho persona that was the persona. It's the personality. It's not really who he was at his soul. Um, and that was his life lesson that he had to learn. But I remember sitting at the table one time and he made just an offhanded comment, something about women. I forget what it was because it didn't even land. Like it just, it was just like, wow, that's so ridiculous. Like it was just like, but that was a moment that I remember, oh my gosh, I've grown so much. Cause in the past it would have been like angry and rageful. Like, how dare you say that? But meanwhile, I was like, that's just so ridiculous. And I feel really sorry that you're still in that space for healing and that you haven't really seen that you have two amazing women around you. That, that was, and he was like, whoa, blown away by my response. Cause I was like, it didn't emotionally trigger me. That, that piece had been healed. And so, you know, where those joyful pieces are, where there's like, oh, what that person said just kind of got me. So it's not to say that there's something about them. They, they are a hundred percent responsible for their own healing. We are a hundred percent responsible for ours. And that's the piece where we remove ourselves from what, um, I forget the name of the psychologist, but he calls it the drama triangle. It's one of my favorite concepts to teach because we have this drama triangle where it's the victim, the villain, and the hero. And in my family, I typically was either the villain or the hero where I was the villain pointing out, you know, the, the behavior of my father of like, um, I think he's drunk and no, 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 we're not going to pay attention to that. No, no, no. We're just going to ignore that. Um, versus And the victim side was what I put myself as. So high achievers, what I've seen in my practice for the past five years is that high achievers are particularly skilled at they they don't want to be the victim so much so that they put themselves in the villain role and take 100% of their responsibility and then 100% of everybody else's responsibility around them. Hmm, boy, does that sound familiar. Yeah, (laughs) but that's, and that's, that's like, I like to look at that as the, how, how fair is that to the other person? Like taking their, like I had one client who he had gotten divorced like 10 years ago and his wife was, his ex-wife was still struggling, blaming him. And I said, look, I understand that you did some things during your marriage that, you know, contributed to her having some issues and you have taken a hundred percent of your responsibility for those choices, for the things that you've done, done a ton of work tried to help her, directed her to resources, asked for forgiveness, et cetera. And 
if she is has not doing her own work, she is 100% responsible for the past 10 years. You can blame someone for a little while, but after a while, you have to realize that they haven't been a part of your life really for the past 10 years. That was a big lesson that I had to learn both in my healing with bulimia and my healing uh, of uh, and forgiving my former business partner. Because my healing with bulimia, I used to think that I was broken, damaged, and a victim. And that that was why I was going to punish myself with bulimia. This was all subconscious. It wasn't like actually conscious. And that it was my dad's fault that I was this way and that I had all these problems. So I was just going to, you know, bottle these emotions up and then explode. Um, and I had to realize that it was never my father sticking my finger down my throat. It was me. It, that was my choice. I was choosing to be the villain in my own life. I was making that choice. And when we defer our power and we blame other people, systems and whatnot, we are putting ourselves in that victim space and not taking our own ownership of our own power of like, yeah, well this, you know, for example, I had one client who was, had a really toxic boss. And I said, yes, you are in a space where you are, yes, you are having things where you are a victim. Now, how long are you going to stay in that job? Oh, but I need this job. Oh, but, and I'm like, you are so qualified that do you need do you need to be treated like this? Like this is about like this is a belief system where oh, well, this person's toxic so I'm going to blame this person for my lack of performance because this experience and I said eventually you have to recognize that you are still in this job by your choice. And I was teaching at um a class at, at a college in California and I remember asking the entire class I said, "What?" I said, "Who had to go to school today?" And everybody like raised their hand and like, huh? <laughs> like, and I said, who made you? Uh, and I started asking around the room. Oh, my mom made me go to school. Oh, like, you know, my, you know, my, my parents. And I said, did they hold a gun to your head? And they, he's like, no. And I said, and even if they did, you'd have a choice. I mean, you probably wouldn't like the outcome of the other way, but one of my favorite quotes is from Viktor Frankl. And he said, between stimulus and response, we have a choice. So we have a choice which puts us in a, the place of our power. Our choice is in our, our, our power is in our power to choose. And we can choose our response in any situation. Now, we may not always, like, I mean, Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor, Auschwitz camp, sometimes you may not like the alternative choice of what is available to you. But still, he found that no matter what, we always have a choice as to how we choose to behave how we choose to respond in any situation. And our response is where our power is. And so when we choose to respond with blaming someone else, then that keeps us in the victim seat and prevents us from actually change because then we're at the effect of someone else. And then with blame, the thing about blame is that when we're blaming someone else, then that defers all our power to them, which means they get all our results too. Even the good ones. Wow. Because that actually reminds me of uh, a quote that I have heard yeah. and actually changed my life when it was when you when you blame and you harbor anger, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Yep. And yeah. I, I I heard that quote and went, oh, my God, that that makes so much sense. And that from that point, it changed my life in regards to to anger and healing and forgiveness and that the power of forgiveness is actually yours as opposed to 
giving it away, which was a, a remarkable mindset change for, for myself. And you're saying the same thing as you keep yourself in this blame situation. You're keeping yourself in the systems that were built to hold you there. To keep so, you there, yeah. So you're like, staying in, in a in a low vibration of shame, blame, guilt, anger, and frustration versus making the conscious choice of like, you know what? I don't like my boss and I don't like my job. I am choosing to show up even just by changing it to a conscious choice. You claim your power. And so I, when I recognized that I no longer was going to be like, oh, this impulse, this, you know, impulse to purge back when I was bulimic or this impulse to blame my former business partner for where my business was. I said, I am choosing to blame him. Oh, okay. I'm choosing then to not make money or I'm choosing to stick my finger down my throat. Why? Like, Eventually, mm -hmm. once you realize that, you're like, why am I making this choice? Like, I know this choice is going to harm me or that it's not proving, it's not providing the results that I want. So when you take ownership of those choices, that's when you start to claim your power. And that's when you shift the drama triangle out of the drama triangle into from the victim to being the creator. And then you become the creator of your circumstances. Well, then there's the other piece of the drama triangle, especially for us high achievers who like to put our blame us. Like where we don't want to blame everyone else, but we are really skilled at blaming ourselves. Like, oh yeah, we're going to take all the responsibility, all of it. even if you don't own it. Yeah. You carry it all with yep. you. And, you know, you may have had nothing to do with it, but because you think you are, yeah, you, you think that it's your responsibility, then you take on the responsibility of everybody's issues. Everybody else. Yeah. And that's that's partly the the villain where you're like, oh, I'm the bad guy. I'm the one who's at fault. I'm the one who's doing all this. Like it's my fault. And, and that space, that way of thinking, it creates so much disruption in the body for one, um, because the mind-body connection is real. And I personally believe that there is a mind-body business connection, that the business is just a reflection very much of the, what's going on in your subconscious mind, especially as the leader. Um, but that that mind-body connection and that the putting your space in the space of being a villain, when you are able to shift out of that space, you can shift into what's called the challenger. And the challenger role is the system disruptor. It's the one who says, you know what? I'm going to take 100% of my responsibility. Here's the this, this, and this that I can change. This is what I can do. And this is what you get to take responsibility for. And if you're not going to take responsibility, then here's this, this, and this that needs to change within the entire ecosystem of what, what we've created. And they're the disruptor. They are the beautiful disruptor that comes. And then the creator is able to come in and create through the space that's made from the disruption of whatever system needs to topple and crumble. And then the third. That's amazing. That's that. I, that is hopeful. Yeah. That is that that is something that is like a, you can see it. It's a it's a guiding light. And we can only do that when we claim 100 percent of our power, but no more. No more than somebody else's. And when you can change, when you can claim that space, you're no longer, you can be the victim of experience, but that doesn't mean that you have to carry a victim mindset. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. I wonder how many of us unconsciously carry a victim mindset just by simply being female. Yeah. Many of us do. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, because we are, because we are constantly on the lookout 
of when we're walking alone or traveling by ourselves or that kind of thing. We're constantly aware of our surroundings because of the possibility of being a victim. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's that's interesting that you said that is that you can shift your mindset. You can be aware, but you don't have to have a victim mindset. Yeah. That's, and that's a, a victim mindset really comes down to everything is happening to me. Everything you're at the effect of everything. You're not the cause. You're not the creator. You're at the effect of everything versus how is everything happening for me? So when your clients come to you, it sounds like one of the first things you do is work on their mindset and their their unconscious thoughts and centering them in what is really true. And it sounds like you have done an awful lot of, of research and that that's a, that's a lot of what is the foundation of helping them transform into where they really want to be rather than where they are. Yeah. And especially in that role of like the martyr, that's typically like the hero role, which is the last piece of the drama triangle. And the hero role is the enabler, where you're constantly enabling other people, where you come to the rescue of someone. I, I was that person for my dad. I was the one who staged his intervention. So I was constantly being that, that, that dancing in that hero role when instead especially in this past year before he died, I shifted into what the evolution is, is the coach. And the coach is empowering, but you get to make let them make their own decisions. I love coaching and being able to coach from that. You, I am so done with the, the codependent coaching model that I see happening in my industry, which, which bothers me because I tell my clients, I'm like, I want to put myself out of a job. So typically I work with my clients for three months or 12 months for a period and then they totally quantum leap up level. Like one of my clients just did her biggest launch ever, almost $200,000 in a month and which was double what her largest launch was before. And so she, they work with me for like a year and then they go off and sustain that level of like what it means to sustain the new habits, the new systems, new processes, the new ways of being on that new identity level. And then when they're ready to up level again, they come back in like six months, nine months, a year um, and circle back. But that it, that's the, pr I don't want to be like that. No offense to therapists. I think that therapists are great in many ways, but I think if you've been seeing the same therapist for 20 years and haven't, it's, every week and haven't seen significant progress, then I would look at, to it, at the relationship that you have and the model of what that's following. Yeah. Cause that's keeping you in the same spot. Yeah. And that now becomes a codependent relationship and you're both getting something out of it. It's just not growth. Yeah. And like codependency is such a constant thing in, in, any relationship because everything in life is a relationship. We have a relationship with our jobs. We have a relationship with our kids. We have a relationship with our money. We have a relationship with our businesses. We have a relationship with our audience. We have like, we constantly are in this dance of a relationship. And when, um, when you are in that, that codependent relationship, it's preventing that growth from, from on either side. The topic that we have today is just we could talk for hours about this, and this is just simply scratching the surface. And I know that there are women out there that something is triggering with them, and they're going, oh, 
oh, okay, maybe, maybe I need to consider that. Now, not everybody can afford coaching, mm-hmm. but everybody can afford to invest in themselves. So what would you say to the audience members that their a light bulb went off? Where should they start to try and transform their mindset? So a great exercise that I do and one of the hardest questions that I ask anyone, you're going to hear it and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that's that question <laughs> is, is what do you want? Because immediately, most people answer it with everything that they don't want. And I say, great. So start making a list of everything you don't want. Everything. That list, when you ask yourself the question of what do, what do I want, make a list of all the questions, of uh, all the things that you don't want. I don't want to be in a codependent relationship. I don't want to be in my job. I don't want to have this body. I don't want what specifically about your body. You don't want to have your love handles. You don't want to have like, you don't want to have lack of uh, lack of energy. Make the whole column, whole column, it can be a whole page. And then on the other page, just look at the list and what is the opposite? And what is it like? So I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to look like this, this body that I am today, or I don't want to have these love handles. Well, what is the opposite of that? Well, I want to f- look trim and fit and strong. Um, I don't want this job. I want to be an entrepreneur. I don't want um I don't want to not be heard. That's a big one. Um I want to be heard. So looking at that because your subconscious mind responds to direct commands. And so when it's constantly hearing these like I don't want to be this playing not to win is playing not to lose is very different than playing to win. And so let's train your subconscious mind to play to win. And beginning with getting curious about what it is you want, not judging what it is you want. If you want the Lamborghini, put it on the list. Like that's a huge piece as well to this like too muchness plagiarized programming. So when you look at those things that you want, don't judge the things that you want. Like let yourself be in the imagination, which is the space of creativity, with what it is that you actually want to create. Once you have your list and like literally I'm encouraging you to take at least an hour to do this. Generally I don't say many exercises that that take, you know, that long, but take an hour to really journal about what you want and then ask the question and what else? And then ask the question again. And what else? And what else? Like what do you really want? Because so often we're complacent of like, well, I think that, you know, having a second home or having that really nice car or getting that handbag or, you know, going on that nice vacation, it'd be nice if it'd be nice if, and you're like, that, that that is a belief system right there. It'd be nice if I could fly first class, but, you know, I don't want to feel too showy or that. That is your plagiarized programming kicking in. That is your ego and that you are at the edge of your comfort zone, which is exactly where change happens. When you look at that list of what it is that you want, look at who do I have to be? If the version of me who already has, does, and is everything, has all of this, what does she do? What does she do on a daily basis? And then if you can just imagine what are those things, how do you need to be more responsible? How do you need to be more courageous? How do you need to be more disciplined? How do you need to be more in integrity with what you say you're going to do? That's that's incredible. That. And that also goes into the the self-doubt of 
I'm not good enough because we fail to recognize our own talents and our skills that we carry with us every single day, um, but take for granted. Yeah. And we are, as women, I know that speaking for myself, I might, I am the worst at taking myself for granted. Yeah. So I, that is actually one of the reasons why I started a podcast. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, because I wanted to highlight how much we actually do and accomplish. And we, that's why I say we're celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight because we are. Yeah. And I have a great exercise that I will leave you with for the imposter syndrome. So if you take all of the amount that you have spent on formal education, put a number down. This exercise should only take about 15 minutes. Then you take all of the income that you have made every year for the past, you know, however long you've been working every year, because that it, it equals to years of experience. Tally that up as well. Then you take all of the books you've read, just guesstimate on, you know, the price, about $15 a book, you know, depending upon whether you buy Amazon, uh, you know, physical books like me, because I'm like that nerd who needs the pen and loves the smell and yeah, <laughs> versus the Kindle readers. But tally all that up. Then look at all the certifications, courses, investments that you've put into. Then look at what is your hourly wage currently, and then how much time are you spending listening to podcasts like this? And then multiply that. And then look at how there are some experiences in life that you have that are not necessarily quantifiable by money terms, like having children, but that are, you know, they do take some income. So you can kind of give a range, especially, you know, if paying for children's education, private education, collegiate education, like that has a dollar amount too of being able to successfully provide for a child. Add that to the list. Tally all those numbers up, including all those invaluable experiences, and just see if you can put a price tag on it. Like one of my clients, she said, well, I don't know how to put a price on like my parents' divorce when I was 13. And I said, well, divorce can be expensive. So like, what was that price? And she said, well, she said, I think my mom got like 250000 in spousal support. I said, great. I said, you know, maybe add an extra fifty because you had some pain and suffering. Um, and she said, okay. She added about 300000 extra dollars to that. Tally all of those numbers up. Take 15 minutes to literally look at a numerical value of what your life experience, every year of your life, every year of learning, every year of growth is worth. Most of my clients are at least over a million, if not multiple million. Easily. 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 Easily, right? And so when we look at that number and then we're like, I don't know if I could charge $5,000 for, you know, some service or some product or some course. That kind of looks re- a little ridiculous. Like when you look at that, you're like, you know, I have $2 million worth of experience, but I can't charge $200 an hour to, you know, have a co- consult conversation. Ridiculous. But it, it also helps shift the mindset. Yes, of- it does. Now, okay, here's the numeric value of what you're really worth. Yeah. Don't worry about the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because that's it's hooey. Yeah. It's it's hooey. And looking at that number, I, I put have most of my clients put that number somewhere within their eyesight of their workspace. So that they can always remember that they are that much. And if you have a like solid life insurance policy as well, you can add that number onto it as well. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait to do this exercise. Yes, do the exercise. I want to know your number, Audra. You can tell me. I, I <laughs> you can will. tell me off I air will. if you want. 
I will, I will, I will report the number. Yes. Um, oh my, Kimberly, first of all, thank you for spending your time with us and for sharing with us your experiences, being vulnerable with, with your own personal experiences, but then also meeting us where we're all at and saying you get where many of us are right now and that there's, there's a path and there's a direction to get yourself out of it. So I am so appreciative of you giving us of your time, of yourself, and of your expertise. It is it is invaluable. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Audra, for having me. It has been a pleasure chatting with you and, and getting to know you over our, our phone calls. And I'm just, I'm so excited for, for those who have been touched or experienced this podcast and who are, who are doing the exercises to make some change. I, and you know what? And that's the whole thing. That's the whole point. You got to do the work. You got to do the work to have it work. (laughs) Yep. You got to do the work. If people want to reach out to you, where would they contact you? If you love this conversation, just head on over to crownyourself.com and click the button that says work with me. And I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you one-on-one. And you have a TED Talk. I do. So you can find that on YouTube. Yep. Becoming a Warrior for Possibility. And we're in all the socials and all the places at Crown Yourself Now. And if you like podcasts like this that are uplifting you on becoming the queen bee of your life, then join us on the Princess and the Bee podcast. And I encourage you all to to go and watch her TED Talk. It's amazing. Go and listen to her podcast because she has some fascinating guests and reach out to her. She's just an amazing, lovely woman and one that you definitely want in your corner. So I want to once again, thank you for being here. And we would I, I would love to have you back. I would love to be back. Yes, absolutely. Because there's so much more we could talk about. I mean, we have just barely scratched the surface. So there will be, there will be a part two. We'll have to do something really, really interesting. So, uh, like I said, if you, if you have been touched, if you've enjoyed this, please reach out to her. I am very interested in what your feedback is. So let me know on what you'd like part two to be with Kimberly and I, and we will do our best to satisfy that. Um, Again, I want to say thank you to all of you for being here, spending your time with me, and I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this very interesting topic. So thank you again, and we'll see you again next time. This is just the beginning. That's our show. I am so grateful for each and every one of you and your unwavering support and your continued belief in this movement that has become much bigger than me, much bigger than just a podcast. It has become this forward momentum that we are all doing together. If you are ready or you know somebody that is that is ready to tell your story and share your value with the world, please connect with me. You can reach me at audra at womeninthearena.net. I am so honored and thankful that you will share your story with me, and I'll make sure that it is well taken care of. I will never stop thanking each and every one of you, and I cannot wait to talk to you again next week as we share another woman's story and we celebrate her doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We'll see you next time.